we're doing it again. Yeah. We're doing it again. Once again, uh, there is just not, I mean, technical difficulties abound. Yeah. Um, that seems to be the new trend. Uh, we've added technology, and that technology has now... Now it made things us. hard. Yes, it is. It is. We're we're becoming luddites before everyone's eyes. We are. <laughs> we are. We're gonna smash it. We're gonna take ourselves back. I read an interesting take on luddites the other day that they are actually not what they get accused of being. Uh, I gotta remember where I heard that. It might have yeah. been on beep beep. Um, but it was interesting that luddites were more like they were more angry at the uh, at, at where the benefits of technology were being applied as opposed to the technology itself. Like they didn't like hate computers. They had the fact that computers made the acceleration of capitalism a lot easier. Yeah. Um, which is a really hyper, uh, you know, oversimplified analysis of it. But, you know, it is what it is. Yeah. There it is. Um, so, uh, that being said, it's the top of the episode. You know what that means. It's the first time we've recorded in a while. Corrections. Yes. Corrections. David, I feel like we had corrections left over from last week. Oh, yeah. Uh, we we forgot about a, a one about Yugoslavia. So, uh, never forget Yugoslavia. Never for, I'm sorry, Tito. Um, never forget Yugoslavia. Uh, the correction was I had mentioned that that Yugo or Yug was like total, um, meaning all the Slavs. That actually it, it, it means the summation of, of a Slav group, but not all in any way. I was complete wrong translation of that word. It means south. Uh, because there's yeah, that, that is a definite difference. Yeah, uh, because there's essentially three uh, groups of, of Slavs. Um, there's or, or Slavic speaking peoples. There's the South Slavs, which are, you know, uh, Serbo-Croatian people, Macedonian people, Slovenian people, uh, Bulgarian people. Uh, there's West Slavs. Uh, those are Poles, Czech people, Slovaks. Uh, Poles it! And uh, then there's the East Slavs. Those are Russians, Ukrainians, Belarusian people. And uh, so Yugoslavia uh, was land of the Southern Slavs, essentially is what that meant. Um, or South Slavland is, or I'm sorry, South Slavs land is is kind of what it. But South Slavland sounds like a weird Slavic uh, theme park yeah. that, that nobody would have would have gone and visited. So yeah. we couldn't call it that. So here we are back at yeah. it again. Also, uh, I had called it just because I I don't know I'm not very good at, at reading anything in any foreign languages, um, and uh, and I had taken four years of Spanish, so I kept pronouncing it Rajava. Uh, it's Rajava. Um, yeah. Now I mean. I, not much recognition of that. That literally means West, um, and that was just kind of the false uh, Kurdish state drummed up by the U.S. before they, they panicked. And I thought I thought the U.S. would kind of guard the bottom of that as a border to try to keep Assad out and uh, let the Turks, you know, genocide more freely. Now, certainly uh, there is a lot of ISIS and, and Turkish uh, killings going on there. Uh, but and, – and there's still some leftover like YPG folks that are, are – helping the U.S. guard the oil fields, and the U.S. is blatantly staying there and guarding the oil fields, which is unsurprising. Um, but uh, but the SDF did uh, come to an agreement with Assad to basically dissolve and uh, have the Kurds and, and Assad work together to defend the all of, whole of Syria from Turkey. So it's basically just like the U.S. blatantly defending the oil fields, which caused a pretty weirdly open comment from Trump that's like, oh, yeah, we tried regime change, and that didn't work, <laughs> but uh, but we got the oil fields, so we're going to guard those. Quiet part out loud. Yeah, is the, which is, is the, Trump's the MO. The Donald Trump special. Yeah. The quiet yeah, part so out loud. It'll be really depressing when he starts saying the quiet part out loud about uh, Bolivia now. Oh, okay. Today. Yeah, so we're going to do that. Okay, so um, full... Disclaimer up top, uh, loud, proud, and and full of crowd. Um, 
This has happened. I know. I. It, I'm sorry. It's really. We we've both been sitting here. Normally, we kind of start recording fairly quickly after we get started. But both yeah. of us have been like, well, one, I've been trying to troubleshoot technology bullshit. But two, we've both been kind of like feverishly uh, googling. To, um, the day we are recording this is the uh, uh, the ele- the tenth of November, uh, yeah. 2019, which means um, that as of like two hours ago or so, uh, Eva Morales has officially stepped. Down as president of Bolivia, and from there we don't really have anything else hard in stone. Um, what yeah. the fuck actually is going to happen next is entirely anybody's guess. Yeah, um, and, and but we could posture some some educated <laughs> hypotheses. Yeah, I mean, this is a very blatantly fascist right wing coup. Uh, they're burning Wapala flags, which are uh, the indigenous pride flags. Yeah. And of course, you know, Evan Morales was an indigenous president, first indigenous leader of, of a South American country. Um, Carlos Mesa, who was his main opposition in the last election, who was the president before him, who is an NED asset. I mean, very openly went to School of Americas, um, was very open to uh, Western, you know, investment. Uh, he's, some people are speculating, you know, he's now going to take power from that, which is, is certainly who parts of the army is backing. It sounds like a lot of the army, because this is very much a coup, uh, is backing that. The, the fascist burning houses um, of leaders and family members of Morales, and and sounds like they're already burning and pillaging his house, which is a big part of, of why he resigned, you know, to try to help people out. It sounds like there's, you know, kangaroo courts. Uh, there's, I believe it's the TSE uh, is the indigenous um, council there and, and the president that had resigned um, about the same time as, as Morales. Um, you know, she's been being exiled already by what looks like going to be yep. a, a fascist kangaroo court. Uh, people from the public broadcasting uh, are saying that their broadcast has been shut off. Um, so it, it looks very much like a frightening fascist power grab. Um, certainly the electoral courts, uh, if they have any strength or validity whatsoever, and most of the police force uh, certainly still believe in the cause and side with Morales. Uh, but it's hard to tell how much uh, the armed forces and how big of a segment of the police force uh, back the coup. Certainly, you know, there's a large segment of the of the army and generals and, and some of the police force that do. Um, and so it's not it's not looking good. And of course, you know, I mean, there's there's several reasons for that. Um, you know, the biggest one being that Morales was going to nationalize lithium and, and lithium is a very, very valuable commodity right now for, you know, batteries, things like that. And I believe it's also a huge, um, correct me if I'm wrong, I think it's a huge use in uh, everything, all of the green tech, all of the, 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 the eco-fascists that are like, no, if we just go to renewable energy as opposed yeah. to, to this, that or the other, it'll be fine. Um, well, lithium's yeah. used like for all of that storage. Oh, all of oh, those. sure, because because you think about power storage, right? You have nickel cadmium was the first rechargeable, and that develops memory very very quickly. And then nickel metal hydride has a little more memory resistance, but still develops memory as a battery. And, and when I say develops memory, basically like you you have a rechargeable power source, you drain it all the way, you charge it back up, it's fine. You drain it halfway, you charge it back up. Now it'll only ever charge halfway again. That old I have you have to let your phone yeah. die all the way before you can charge. Right. It. 
right. thing that, that hasn't like, been valid for the last like, Yeah, that years. was a NICAD nickel metal hydride. Rechargeable batteries have been mostly uh, lithium-ion, um, and lithium-ion is, is a deep recharge. It doesn't develop a memory very quickly at all. And uh, so from, you know, electric cars to cell phones to green energy sources, anything, you know, lithium is, is very, very valuable there. Um, and Morales was nationalizing that. Obviously, Morales also taking them out is, is a strategic... Uh, win along with the the Brazil coup where they jailed Lula to get Bolsonaro in um, for both burning down the Amazon and turning it into freaking soy farms and for attacking Maduro again. So. In a very, though, uh, and, and and because I, I, I don't jump in because it's not good, we were, I, I, I think we're going to try and stay as very much to what we know exactly is going on sure. as humanly possible on this right now because, again, and again, next week we'll yeah, report. and every everything I've said is 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 from what I know now. I mean, it, or what we've gathered from from speculation. But you know, we don't know Mesa's going to take power. We don't know how things are going to go. We don't know anything right now, and that's kind of the dangerous part. What we do yeah. know is that Morales resigned for whether for whatever intentions he yeah we we know the resistance is overwhelmingly right and overwhelmingly fascist we know they were burning down houses and and violently threatening to kidnap and kill um, you know, members of, of the government and their families. Um, we know it's extremely blatantly anti-indigenous and, and they're they're chanting like, you know, Indians out of Bolivia and burning Apollo flags, things like that. But we don't know how much, like how the power is going to go forward, how, you know, if this is going to be like the Chilean coup in 73 where that, that power is, is going forward ongoing and or this I, is going to be like yeah. Venezuela in 2002 where the coup happens and then the people speak and, and it gets pushed back or, or something in between. We don't, we don't know. And I think everyone strongly, strongly, you know, is, is airing, to, hoping for the other one because, again, this is not 73 yeah. anymore. Material conditions are different. Um, it's going to be – Yeah, I mean it's going to be its own thing. It's just a matter of which one it's more like. Ex- uh, you know. Exactly. But, I mean, when we say 73 coup, you know, there's also 2009 Honduras and, yeah. and you know, I mean several other it's examples. Happened. It's, it's, it's happened. happened more than it's once. happened. It's happened. It keeps – yeah, it keeps kind of happening. Um, on Twitter today, there was some dumb Wall Street Journal motherfucker um, who did. Uh, did you see the one where it was Lula like working out? Oh no! Oh god, it was so good. Oh god, I want to find the exact. Well, I don't need to. Um, but long story short, uh, there was a video of Lula working out, which of course he does because he's ripped. He's ripped, swolps, <laughs> socialist daddy. Um, you know, he knows the fascists are, are working out. Are you? Um, but. This guy was like, oh, really impressed with this Lula. He's like, so, and I I know the wording is irrelevant because it was awful, but it's like, so impressed by both him and Bolsonaro. Both both great, with both of these guys in the mix. Brazil has nothing but a bright future ahead of it. And just the entire, like one, everyone found out he wrote for the fucking Wall Street Journal. And two, everyone else was just like, the the fuck? What are you talking about? <laughs> right. The you fascists absolutely... are going to be like, why are you praising Lula? And the rest of us are going to be like, why are you praising the fascists? It was the best one was it was a, there was a, a Simpsons uh, gif, me not gif, but just an image of, of Principal Skinner just like with looking at campaign. Is there a more generic, let's hope the best man wins or or everyone tried their hardest bump sticker? These all seem very, very. I mean, it was the most it was the 
D- Chuck Todd is impressed with how both sides that guy was. <laughs> I mean, you literally split the difference between fascist. Like you said, both the socialist and the fascist are good. Um, damn. And and I don't know. I don't know what to do with it. I just World I don't War Two is a real real good war. Real brave soldiers. <laughs> really, uh, yeah, Europe both. Is, everyone... Europe is lucky to have these guys fighting for mm-hmm, them. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh my god. Oh my god. So so what did I do today to take away from my 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 played a, played a fucking World War. Two simulator oh, where I desperately tried to turn the world communist over and over God again. Um, I know, but I did go Yugoslavia, and I am I'm currently I've got Tito, I've got Tito. Nice. Jo- me, I was the first one to join the common turn. I was very eager. I was right there up with with Daddy Stalin saying yes, please nice. sign me up for that common turn. Um, but uh, we did in fact lose Spain again. Turns out that war is really hard to win, anarchists. It's not that easy. Even in video games, we had a hard. We tried, damn it. It's not easy. Um, moving on. The pitfall of national consciousness. Um, for anyone that's reading along, we are on chapter three. Chapter this three. is the start of chapter three, and it's page yes. 148 in the book. Mm-hmm. Um, history teaches us clearly that the battle against colonialism does not run straight away along the lines of nationalism. For a very long time, the native devotes his energies to ending certain definite abuses. Forced labor, corporal punishment, inequality of salaries, limitation of political rights, etc. This fight for democracy against the oppression of mankind will slowly leave the confusion of the neoliberal universalism to emerge, sometimes laboriously, as a claim of to nationhood. It so happens that the un- unpreparedness, Jesus yep. Christ, of the educated classes, the lack of practical links between them and the mass of the people, their laziness, and let it be said, their cowardice at the decisive moment of the struggle will give rise to tragic mishaps. Tragic mishaps indeed, mm-hmm. Fanon. National consciousness, instead of being the all-embracing crystallization of the innermost hopes of the whole people, instead of being the immediate and most obvious result of the mobilization of the people, will be in any case only an empty shell, a crude and fragile travesty of what might have been. The faults that we find in it are quite sufficient explanation of of the facility with which, when dealing with young and independent nations, the nation is passed over uh, for the race and the tribe is preferred to the state. These are the cracks in the edifice which show the process of retrogression that is so harmful and prejudicial to national effort and national unity. We shall see that such retrograde steps with all the weaknesses and serious dangers that they entail are a historical result of the incapacity of the national middle class to rationalize popular action. That is to say, their incapacity to see the reasons for that action. Now, let's be clear again. When Fanon is talking about the national middle class, okay, that's positioning... There's a, a colonizing bourgeoisie and even colonizers as a whole. There's a colonized people that are, are you know, the, the lower class, the lumpen proletariat, the, the dregs of society. And then there's this, it's like a bourgeoisie of colonized people and then some to some degree the workers in the urban areas. And that's the national middle class. Okay, They're in between the colonizer and the colonized. They're colonized people with privileges and education and connection to the colonizers and, and some fealty there. You know, kind of like the essentially the, the bosses and things. Yeah, makes sense. This traditional weakness, which is almost congenital to the national consciousness of underdeveloped countries, is not solely the result of the mutilation of the colonized people by the colonial regime. It is also the result of the intellectual laziness of the national middle class, of its spiritual penury, and of the profoundly cosmopolitan mold that, it, it, that its mind is set in. 
The national middle class, which takes over power at the end of the colonial regime, is an underdeveloped middle class. It has practically no economic power, and in any case, it is in no way commensurate with the bourgeoisie of the mother country, which it hopes to replace. In its narcissism, the national middle class is easily convinced that it can advantageously replace the middle class of the mother country. But that same independence, which literally drives it into a corner, will give rise within its ranks to catastrophic reactions and will oblige it to send out frenzied appeals to help to the former mother country. The university and merchant classes, which make up the most enlightened section of the new state, are in fact characterized by the smallness of their number and being concentrated in the capital. And the type of activities which they are engaged, business, agriculture, and the liberal professions, neither financiers nor industrial magnets are to be found within the national middle class. The national bourgeoisie of underdeveloped countries is not engaged in production, nor in invention, nor building, nor labor. It is completely canalized into activities of the intermediary type. Its innermost vocation seems to be to keep in the running and to be part of the racket. The psychology of the national bourgeoisie is that of the businessman, not that of a captain of industry. And it is only too true that the greed of the settlers and the system of embargoes set up by colonialism have hardly left them any other choice. Mm-hmm. Under the colonial system, a middle class which accumulates capital is an impossible phenomenon. Now precisely, it would seem that the historical vocation of an authentic national middle class is an, in an underdeveloped country is to repudiate its own nature insofar as it is bourgeois, um, and that is to say insofar as it is a tool of capitalism, and to make itself the willing slave of that revolutionary capital, which is the people. In an underdeveloped country, an authentic national middle class ought to consider its bounden duty to betray the calling fate has marked out for it and to put itself to school with the people. In other words, to put at the people's disposal an intellectual and technical capital that is snatched when going through the colonial universities. But unhappily, we shall see very often the national middle class does not follow this heroic, positive, fruitful, and just path. Rather, it disappears within its soul set to a piece into the shocking ways, shocking because anti-national, of a traditional bourgeois, a bourgeoisie, of bourgeoisie, uh, which is stupidly, contemptibly, cynically bourgeois. So, I mean, again, to be clear, you know, you have this this middle class, this colonized capitalist, and they can side with the colonizers. Now they have the national independence. And Fanon is appealing to them to do that. Like, you know, hey, you know, use this education you were given. Use the political education. Use the arts. Bring this to the people. And he says, unfortunately, that doesn't happen very often. Now, he clearly didn't say that never happened. And yeah. obviously he talked earlier in the book about Cuba. And, and I mean, we can cite many examples in, in the world today where it does. Um, or where it has and unfortunately, you know, was toppled later on with, with uh, coups. I know this is a sore subject right now, but yeah. my mind was on Sankara here. Uh, yeah. 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 Um, but, uh, but I mean, very often it's it's not happening, and that's, that's what Fanon is concerned with here. Yeah. So. The objective of a nationalist parties as it – as from a certain given period is, we have seen, strictly national. They mobilize the people with slogans of independence and for the rest leave it to future events. When such parties are questioned on the economic program of the state that they are clamoring for or on the nature of the regime which they propose to install, they are incapable of replying because precisely they are completely ignorant of the economy of their own country. This economy has always developed outside the limits of their knowledge. They have nothing more than an approximate bookish 
acquaintance with the actual and potential resources of their country's soil and mineral deposits. And therefore, they can only speak of these resources on a general and abstract plane. Uh, you want to know who's very aware of the uh, country's soil and mineral deposits? Fucking Ava Morales. All right, sorry, I'm mad. After independence... This underdeveloped middle class, reduced in numbers and without capital, which refuses to follow the path of revolution, will fall into deplorable stagnation. It is unable to give free rein to its genius, which formerly it was wont to lament, though rather too glibly was held in check by colonial domination. The precariousness of its resources and the paucity of its managerial class force it back for years into an artisan economy. From its point of view, which is inevitably a very limited one, a national economy is an economy based on what may be called local products. Long speeches will be made about the artisan class. Since the middle class find it, classes find it impossible to set up factories that would be more profit-earning, both for themselves and for the country as the whole, they surround... Where they the surround artist. the artisan class with chauvinistic tenderness in keeping with the new awareness of national dignity. And with the what the fuck is happening? And which, moreover, will bring them in quite a lot of money. This cult of local products, this incapability to seek out new systems of management, will be equally manifested by the bogging down of the national middle class in the methods of agricultural production, which were characteristic in the colonial period. Holy shit, I just had a stroke there. David, take it away. Keep going. <laughs> the national economy of the period of independence is not set on new footing. It is still concerned with the groundnut harvest, with the coca crop, the, with the olive yield. In the same way, there is no change in the marketing of basic products, and not a single industry is set up in the country. We go on sending out raw materials. We go on being Europe's small farm small farmers who specialize in unfinished products. Um, so what Fanon's getting at here very much is, yeah. you know, the, the colonized countries give the natural resources to the colonizers and then buy back the finished goods made from those raw materials. Yeah. And they just continue to be a source of raw materials. To break away from this, you have to have this quote-unquote national middle class not only subservient to the people and abandoning their, their bourgeoisie tendencies, but part of that abandonment is understanding that they have to manufacture stuff. They have to take care of it, you know, yeah. you wouldn't ask us for for food aid while we send you bulk grain. You would give us plows if it were truly reparation. You know that kind of thing, right? <laughs> David loves that Sankara quote as much as I love the Fred Hampton uh, uh, yeah, education I video. I we I very we both we both have our our bugaboos, and those yeah. are them. They're fun. yeah, that's my bugaboo right there. Uh, it's good though. Um, yeah. But no, it's it's very much, and it's that's a very interesting. It's like capitalism, like twice removed. It feels yeah. like because it's like they are doing, they are getting their labor is being exploited mm -hmm. to extract a raw material uh -huh. that they then do not even see the finished product of because that raw material is then shipped out to somewhere else where the finished product is made and then sent back to them like they're there's so when we talk about alienation from your mm -hmm. from your labor and from the product of your labor uh, someone uh, will use lithium uh down in the lithium mine mining lithium does not is so alienated from a tesla it's not the 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 connection. Yeah, they're is, not making the Teslas in Bolivia. You no, know, you're not. You're there not is making, no overlap. Uh, you don't see the product of what your labor is actually sure, producing. Sure, sure. Um, silicon, you know, silicon yep. um, is mined out, and there's other materials. San Francisco, yeah, in San Francisco. Um, that, other materials, David, yeah. David, silicon's not mined in San nah, Francisco. No. I know. No, when it's I make the bad deadpan joke, you don't agree and move on like that. Sorry. You, I, are, you are the audience surrogate. You must stop so they know I don't think silicon <laughs> comes from San Francisco. Uh, anyway, um, silica, I'm trying to think what the other metal is. There's a few metals that come from, like, the Congo that are yeah. mined out for computer yeah. chips. Yeah. Um, the Congo, nobody's making 
computer chips in the Congo in what? Central Africa. They didn't. You know. They didn't learn STEM in the Congo. <laughs> God damn it. Kamala didn't come down do some do, do some, some fun step. do some fun step step marching band moves and then tell him to learn STEM. As Raytheon I've got a class for you. Oh my God. <laughs> that that has been the most fun. Is just watching her Ugh. nosedive. But oh, other world event we missed, David. The most important world event of the week. He's here. He's he's here to save us. Oh no. We have our savior. Oh no. We didn't need Bernie. Oh no. We don't need no Elizabeth Warren. Oh no. Guys, Michael Bloomberg's here. Oh and God. He's ready to run. It. He's he is here and oh. he is ready to fingerprint every oh. single poor person. I love it. Oh. Come on, guys. Oh, Everyone's God. favorite slumlord, Michael fucking oh. Bloomberg. The slumlord, the guy who writes basically the American version of The Economist doing all the fascist, like, hyper, hyper uh, financial newspaper. The the guy that basically pushed out all the broken windows policy um, as much as Giuliani did in New York. That, that fucker. Yep. Oh, he's God. here. And, and I can't wait for the liberal owns about how he's richer than Donald Trump, and that's supposed to make him better. That's um, well, that's already how ha- – I know you remove yourself from basic electoral politics, so it's fun for me to be able to be the one that brings you these nuggets every now and again. It's already happened. Um, oh, it's already happened. God fucking It's God. already happened. And the best one so far, uh, main uh, – so the, he- the best one <laughs> – uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh. The day like the day after he announced, uh I don't it was either MSNBC or CNBC or uh. probably CNBC honestly it would make more sense. We're having their fun little we're all sitting on the couch talking. And they called him the most left of all the candidates oh, in the 2020 field. No. The most left. Oh god. It's no. so tasty. Oh. oh, they're so down their own. Can you imagine how bad the actual polling numbers have to look for this to be what they're pivoting to? Can you imagine I'm, how bad it has to actually... I'm honestly weighing the pain of the fact that this is happening versus the pain of self-emulation right now. It's... Fucking Christ. It's hard. Um, but yeah, um, his logo looks as bad as you'd imagine. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, um, okay. And uh, yeah, he's registered in Alabama and uh, he's ready to go, baby. He's ready to do it. Oh, God damn. He's ready to get on the train. So guys, um, which again, holy shit. If your strategy as the Democratic Party is we're going to run the billionaire versus the bill. Like, can we just stop? Didn't they Honestly, already do the billionaire from New York versus the billionaire from New York? Wasn't that 2016? No, no, no. This one is far more crisp and far more pure um, because this is just two rich New Yorkers arguing about which of them gets to own democracy. And if that isn't, I mean, that is the most Fun, like, version of accelerationism I can think of. Um, Because it's bad across the board, but holy shit, go start, like, New Yorkers are doing a great job. Historic.ly, the podcast has been doing, like, ever since he announced, has been just pumping out bad Bloomberg after bad, like, going back. Like, hey, remember all this awful shit he did over and over again? Oh, yeah. Um, Yeah, including, again, wanting everybody in public 
everyone on public assistance would have to be fingerprinted in order to get on. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, of course, you know, in New York right now, they've already got the NYPD arresting and and putting several people pointing guns at everybody who's skipping line to not pay two seventy. Well, yeah, and then they did a great. I mean, that, um, and that we saw installing like ten fucking cameras per thing. Yeah. It's uh, it's it's bad. But in other uh, criminalizing being poor news, um, the did you see in Chicago? I think we I think we liked this on Twitter. I don't know if it was you or me. It must have been me. Um, uh, in Chicago, where they have now gone full decriminalization or full legalization, recreational marijuana completely legal in Illinois. Oh, and they had a giant it's like seizing of legal marijuana from a guy. Oh, that would be no no no. That's cute. That's fun. That's oh look, the cops are idiots. What's not cute and fun is the fact that they are proposing a law that would make it illegal to have marijuana inside of public housing in Illinois. Which, if that's not the most explicitly fucking racist bullshit I've ever heard in my life... I don't know what is, but yeah. I don't... Hey, you legalized marijuana, but we got to criminalize it again. Don't worry. No. It was always for the poor black people. It was always. Here it is now. It has never been illegal for white people to get high, guys. We've never been the issue here. No. And they are already just baking back in new rules and stuff like that if, to try and target this. At... If it was illegal for white people to be high, vanilla ice would have never happened. I can't. Okay. I just. I. It's I literally fucking, read that, yeah. and I want. I just, I, I mean, I was like, that's a dog bullhorn. There's not even a whistle anymore. Like, you've moved on to a dog megaphone, and yeah. I, I just don't get it. Ugh. Um. So please, please read Fanon. Yes, uh, read Fanon. I, okay. Oh, I'm so uh, Which part? Uh, yet the national middle class constantly demands the nationalization of the economy and of the trading sectors. This is because, from their point of view, nationalization does not mean placing the whole economy at the surface of the nation and deciding to satisfy the needs of a nation. For them, nationalization does not mean governing the state with regard to the new social relations whose growth it has been decided to to encourage. To them, nationalization quite simply means the transfer into native hands of those unfair advantages which are a legacy of the colonial period. Since the middle class has neither sufficient material nor intellectual resources, by intellectual resources we mean engineers and technicians, it limits its claims to the taking over of business offices and commercial houses formerly occupied by the settlers. The national bourgeoisie steps into the shoes of the former European settlement. Doctors, barristers, traders, commercial travelers, general agents, and transport agents. It considers that the dignity of the country and its own welfare require that it should occupy all these posts. From now on, it will insist that all the big foreign companies should pass through its hands. Whether these companies wish to keep their connections with the country or to open it up, the national middle class discovers its historic mission, that of intermediary. Yeah. That's, that's a big, yeah. That's a huge one. It's it's the fact, it's the concept of you just, that that points to what the real goal is. And the mm-hmm. real goal most of the time is, uh, of every bourgeois resolution, revolution at the very mm-hmm. least, is I just want to be the one, impo- I want to be the one making my, ex, my, my surplus value. I want to mm-hmm. be the one skimming off the top, please. I'm upset that somebody else is able to do that. I would prefer it be me. You don't have any fundamental disagreements with the system. You don't have any ideas for how to yeah. run the system better. Well, you just want to be the one doing the exploiting. It's been that one day since the dawn of bourgeois revolutions. Uh, people think of the American Revolution, but the most revealing bourgeois revolution, I think, because the American Revolution took a lot of character from this one, even though it happened first, because the way Americans, like, 
I guess the way America has continued on is the French Revolution because the French Revolution was so explicitly about property and it it laid it on the line, right? Bourgeois revolutions are about taking the power of family property, divine property, and making it private property that can be purchased. So now anyone can have it if you have enough money. Let's look. uh, We we need to back up real quick because if I'm confused, I'm guessing one or two listeners confused. You are not saying that the American Revolution took its cues from the French Revolution. No, 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 no. I'm saying America as it developed and its obsession with property. Okay, okay. I got very confused. I was like, damn, you understand time, right? Yeah. Like how math... Maybe we should back up re-recording a thing. Maybe we should back up re-record me saying that so it's less confusing. I I mean no, I I much prefer the one where I just get to make fun of you for not Shut up. for being confused about time God damn it. and no. flat circles. No, but something that the character of America has taken on past the revolution that it got more from the the French Revolution than its own. And remember, there were a lot of thinkers going back and forth between the American and French Revolution. I mean, they're literally yeah, they're they're almost concurrent. Talleyrand for fuck's sake. Ta- you know? Well, yeah, Talleyrand existed in all timelines. <laughs> All places, yeah. um, and I mean Thomas Jefferson was was yeah. the, was ridiculed stateside for being a francophile and being in love with the French Revolution. Like no, yeah. it was absolute. All the founding, all our founding fathers were aware of that revolution, and they absolutely incorporated things they liked and didn't like from it into future, yeah. and, future America. And French Revolution is probably the best at exemplifying the obsession with property and where it comes from. You know, is is it was all like the 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 royal. You know, you came from the house of of Bourbon or the house d'Orléans, and yeah. and you know you were given property there, and that was your your power. So property is power, and so they were so obsessed with private property as a right. Now I can just buy property because my business made so much. Now I have all the power, right? It was freedom from these these families passing down power, but it wasn't freedom from people that didn't have property. No. And that's and that's the character of every and I think the I mean the French was a bourgeois revolution. When was the mm-hmm. last of the true bourgeois revolution? You'd have to keep going. Ooh. It's not. Do you mm. think that one of the Mexican Mexico? I think the original Mexico is probably the last true mm-hmm. bourgeois revolution. I think so. Yeah. Um, Pre-Zapatistas, obviously. The, the, I mean, yeah. The, that that's a whole different ball of wax. Um, but yeah, so I mean, again, all of those revolutions that you learn about in history class, the French Revolution, the American Revolution, all of those are are revolutions by rich white lawyers and businessmen mm-hmm. in order to make sure that their rich white lawyery and businessmanny things are able to keep going at the rate they are. That's yeah. all they are. They have there are all of these profound ideas are are completely null and void when you get to the actual rubber hitting the road, and that's they wanted the house of power for themselves and they. They wanted to enshrine the things that were very important to them, which had tended to be private ownership of land and less taxes, please, because I'm rich. Yeah. And so what Fanon's been hitting on for, you know, now we're in the second chapter of it is this national middle class has that same cravenness that the bourgeois had in bourgeois revolutions. You know, yep. it, it just wants to, to replace the power, you know, because hey, that's this, what it's seen. Yeah. I mean, it sees this power and goes, hey, this is wrong. This is terrible. This is lording over us. I want to have this power, and it doesn't think about anyone below them. And there's an extra, and and that's and it's and Fanon has to point this out. And this is why this work is so important because mm-hmm. the circumstances are fundamentally different in a colonized nation because you have extra layers at play in a, mm-hmm. in a revolution in the Russian Revolution. Yeah. You had the ruling class, you had the proletariat. That's it. In, well, it was overwhelmingly peasant, but the proletariat was connected. I touche. Thank you, because yes, that I, I when I say the proletariat, I imagine the masses. I imagine everybody. Yeah. Um, but it's that's very, very small proletariat. Yes. Um, in in a colonized country, you have the colonizer, mm-hmm. 
the colonized, and then you have subdivisions between the colonized of yeah. of whether they are bourgeois or whether they are are proletariat and what their interests are, and that mm-hmm. leads to what can on its face a decolonial revolution can still be inherently a bad revo- quote unquote bad revolution if it is only a bourgeois revolution if you're yeah. only replacing who's pulling the levers of the capitalism in your country yeah it's it's really not at the end of the day going to make much of a difference yeah now it's still important i mean fanon walked through that here you know where you had the the on nationalism where just breaking away allowed you know the the falling through and the rising up of of the farmers peasant farmers and things like that Right. Um, we talked about the uh, the good actors in the Nationalist Party that were then jailed and and then, you know, they, they found themselves, you know, cloaked and, and backed by the, the peasant farmers as they went out to the lumpen proletariat. But you, you also heard about and there's there's an interesting dynamic with the colonized people is that those sieves can be abused by the colonizers trying to recolonize. You know, they can go yeah. out to that lumpen proletariat and they can take advantage of their lack of political education and they can use them and point at look how wrong that that bourgeoisie of your country is to recolonize, which is exactly why, you know, we in, in colonized lands, you know, and Fanon talks about this book not being for us, we're not to sit here and go, oh, that's a that's a bourgeoisie that, you know, of that country. That's that's bad. Unless they're like a blatant U.S. puppet and they're doing whatever the hell the IMF is doing, you know, we've got to support that country's independence because anytime we're hearing about you know, the, the peasants uprising and the corruption of, of the leaders, if it's not a lie, it's something that, you know, the CIA is taking advantage of. Interference is being run in the name of imperialism. Otherwise, you wouldn't hear about it. No. Seen through its eyes, its mission has nothing to do with transforming the nation. It consists consists prosaically of being the transmission line between the nation and a capitalism rampant through camu- though camouflaged, which today puts... Motherfucker! Which today puts on the mask of neocolonialism. The national bourgeoisie will be quite content with the role of the Western bourgeoisie's business agent, and it will play its part without any complexes in a most dignified manner. But this same lucrative role, this cheap jacks function, this meanness of outlook, and this absence of all ambition symbolize the incompatibility of the national middle class to fulfill its historic role of the bourgeoisie. Here, the dynamic pioneer aspect, the characteristics of the inventor and of the discoverer of the new world, which are found in all national bourgeoisies, are lamentably absent. In colonial countries, the spirit... I'm not slowing down because of any other reason other than I'm processing this as I'm reading it. I don't like it. In the colonial (laughs) countries, the spirit of indulgence is dominant at the core of the bourgeoisie. And this is because the national bourgeoisie identifies itself with the Western bourgeoisie from whom it has learned its lessons. It follows the Western bourgeoisie along its path of negation and decadence without ever having emulated it in its first stages of exploration and invention. Stages which are an acquisition of that Western bourgeoisie, whatever the circumstances. In its beginnings, the national bourgeoisie of the colonial country identifies itself with the decadence of the bourgeoisie of the west we need not to think of its jumping of it that it is jumping ahead it is in fact beginning at the end it is already senile before it has come to know the petulance the fearlessness or the will to succeed of youth that i don't like that <laughs> and i get it but yeah. i don't like what all right so explain you... to me explain to me why that doesn't why that isn't some weirdly inherent like that almost feels like eugenic like 
Well, they didn't learn the entrepreneurial spirit of the real Western bourgeoisie, so they can't be that because they're colonized. But something about that just, the whole thing feels very, like, scientifically racist. And I don't, I don't enjoy it. Or maybe it's even, I don't, I don't even know if it's science, I don't know if it's racist. I don't know what it is. But the whole thing feels like, well, this middle class from this colonized country will not, are incapable of being the adventurers and the pioneer. This also is adhering to this weird concept of you have to have a bourgeoisie that, that you have to have these titans of industry that come in and revolutionize things, or you're not going to be able to have a successful revolution. And I just I yeah, uniformally um, don't think that that's true. And I think, yeah, I mean, that I, was, out. I was, yeah, I mean, I was reading that a little different way, but again, you know, we, no, but we, please, that's why I want to hear what's yeah, the different way. Um, I mean, I was, I was kind of reading that as, like, they, they've learned completely from the colonizers, but they didn't do the conquering. They've just pushed the colonizers out and taken advantage of the submission of classes. And so they're basically, you know, running around controlling people and exploiting people, but they haven't learned, you know, exploitation. They haven't learned the give and take and the figuring things out. They only know force. I, yeah, I guess. I mean, it kind of gets back to the beginning where he was talking about, you know, the colonized being animals and then earning their humanity and earning their humanity through violence, right? But they haven't learned the intricacies of the give and take of, of violence. But again, I, I don't know what place that analysis has. So maybe you're reading it right and I'm reading it wrong. And again, this is one of those things where maybe Fanon is more right. And, and this d- chapter does unfold a little differently. You ran into this a little bit in, in chapter two. And I know there's there's some more to this chapter, which is maybe why I read it differently. Um but, you know, also we read these guys because they're right. So if they're somewhere where they're not right or, or we don't think they're right, we can take that into account. Well, and again, my not thinking they're right does not really mean a lot in the whole hill of beans. The whole point yeah. of this is for you to hear it and you to hear you being the, the metaphorical you, the, 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 the listener. listener. Yeah. Um, I, I want you, I, we want you to hear as many different angles of it as humanly possible. And we would, but, yeah, but the like, actual text. So mm-hmm. I read the text. I read it one way. David read the text. He read it a different way. Yeah. I, 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 I read it kind of in the, the Jeff Goldblum, you stood on the shoulders of geniuses and then you oh, packaged geez. it and you packed it, you know, that kind of thing, right? You know, I mean, you've exploited people and you've you've never learned to, to set up a government at, you know, a state as, as even a, a method of class control. You don't have... You know, the idea of the the social um, I can't think of, of the I don't see but I don't see any of those things as I don't see any of those things as like desirable, useful or 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 traits that anyone should want. I mean it just it seems No, I'm I'm not sure you know, Fanon's going for those traits that he wants. I think I think he's just kind of describing the situation. Okay. Okay. And that's fine. Yeah. Again, I just, I, I wanted to, it, it it read weird to me, so I assume there's someone out there that thinks similarly to me, and they're going to maybe read it the weird way, and I want to have that discussion. Yeah, you've also got to remember that's that these chapters body. have been a little narrative, too. So sometimes if you, like, stop, you know, ten pages into a chapter and don't read the rest, you're left hanging with thinking Fanon thinks something, and then by the end of the chapter, he's completely refuted that, and he's taking you on a path where you understand the bend he's taking. I'm going to be really mad when I read this next paragraph, and I'm you, you make me look like an idiot. <laughs> the national bourgeoisie will be greatly helped on its way towards decadence by the Western <laughs> bourgeoisie, who come to it as tourists, avid for the exotic, for big game hunting, and for casinos. The national bourgeoisie organizes centers of rest and relaxation and pleasure resorts to meet the wishes of the Western bourgeoisie. Holy 
fuck, that hasn't changed at all. No. All of Mexico. Yeah. All of South America. Such activity is given the name of tourism, and for the occasion will be built up as a national industry. Uh, if proof is needed of the eventual transformation of certain elements of the ex-native bourgeoisie into the organizers of parties for their Western opposite numbers, it is worthwhile having a look at what has happened in Latin America. The casinos of Havana and of Mexico, the beaches of Rio, the little Brazilian and Mexican girls, oh, Jesus, the half-breed 13, oh, Jesus Christ! Yeah, no. But not! The ports uh, of Acapulco... Sex tourism is, is evil and is, yeah, is still holy pervasive problem. Fuck, God, that is the downside of reading this live, is I was not prepared for that. The yeah. ports of Acapulco and Copacabana, all these are the stigma of this deprivation of the national middle class. Because it is bereft of ideas, because it lives to itself and cuts itself off from the people, undermined by its hereditary incapacity to think in terms of all the problems of the nation as seen from the point of view of the whole of that nation. The national middle class will have nothing better to do than to take on the role of the man for Western enterprise, and it will, in practice, set up its own country as the brothel of Europe. This is really fun. Uh, where when I'm at work, uh, every once in a while, if I have to work the front desk, there's a TV that's always going, and the most uh, unoffensive, j- just completely neutral channel that they could think to put it on is HGTV. Oh God. Um, and so uh, a couple days ago, I was up front, and it was one of those. We're, we're house hunting. Look at us. We're gonna go look for houses. And those in and of themselves feel mm-hmm. bad. Just, just they usually end up not, uh, not yeah. sitting well with me. But this particular one was a whole show, and the entire show was Bahama life. Ah, fuck. And it was just old white people wanting to buy houses in the Bahamas, and most of the things they were taking into consideration are: is the community. A lot of expats and white people, because we really don't want to interact with uh, the riffraff. We would just oh, like to God. look at their beach when we come here four times a year. Um, but we don't want to interact with them. And watching the uh, the real estate agents on both of the shows, because I only have an hour to have to sit through that hell. Um, <laughs> the real estate agents were both native. Um, and uh, the look of just dead behind their eyes. <laughs> Just the staring into the camera going, I am selling out my people to the white man. This is fun. Hi. Uh, capitalism's great. Yay. Um, oh, man. There was a lot of existential dread that I had to deal with at 9 o'clock in the morning that I was not ready for. While an yeah. old white lady critiqued that there weren't enough. Uh, un- I- I- I'm pretty sure they had like a line. Uh, going into one of these apartments, that, and I say I think I know there was there was a line of uh, of Bahamian gentlemen, yeah. uh, shirtless, white pants, just holding flags. Why? Why? Why was that a thing? Why did you put that on TV, HGTV? Why do you think that's not wildly racist? But it is. I mean, it's it's something that that's a common racism you hear. All the time, right? I mean, some well-off person is like, oh, I'm taking a vacation or a honeymoon, you know, to here or there or whatever. Mm. And then they'll say, okay, well, don't don't get off the resort. You'll yeah. have a pickpocket. And it's, I mean, it's basically right. like when people go, oh, don't go, go in the inner city. You'll get shot like times 20. Like, don't be around those colonized people. They're beasts. My, my parents. It's I, fucking it is, horrible. I gave them so much. I've, I've, I don't think I've stopped giving them shit for it since they yeah. got back. I've been relentlessly just making... Just, just, I can't handle it. Um, my cousin went to a, uh, got married, they yeah. did a destination wedding in Jamaica. Yeah. 
And that's bad enough. Yeah. That's bad enough. One, my dad did meet a Greek gentleman there who he insists is the refutation of all communism because this one Greek guy said that communism was bad. Oh, um, God. But also, he's at a res- destination resort wedding in Jamaica, so I'm going to go ahead and question a couple things here. But they, when they came back on the TV, the, it, like like all those digital picture frames, there's just uh, um, uh, it's just scrolling by. Uh, all the pictures going by. And in every one of these pictures, it's fucking seas of rich-ass white people um, all being served on, like, what looked like plantation, like sugarcane plantation style. All the servers, all the wait staff are all black. Um, and I'm literally looking at that picture and then looking at my, my dad, who is, for all things, not explicitly awfully racist and going, it's like... Yeah, it was pretty weird. I'm like, oh, it was pretty weird, wasn't it? Wasn't it? The fact that you sat through that. Holy shit, what is wrong with you? Holy fuck, how did you not just, like, get up and leave? Like, that is, oh, my God, it was disgusting. Yeah. Um, And that happens all the time. All the time. Constantly. Yep. So, uh, don't forget. Once again, we must keep before us the unfortunate example of certain Latin American republics. The banking magnates, the technocrats, and the big businessmen of the United States have only to step onto a plane and they are wafted into subtropical climes, there for a space of a week or ten days to luxuriate in the delicious depravities which their reserves hold for them. The behavior of the national landed proprietors is practically identical with that of the middle class of the towns. The big farmers have, as soon as the independence is proclaimed, demanded the nationalization of agricultural production. Through manifold scheming practices, they managed to make a clean sweep of the farms formerly owned by settlers, thus reinforcing their hold on the district. They do not try to introduce new agricultural methods, nor to farm more intensively, nor to integrate their farming systems into a genuinely national economy. In fact, the landed proprietors will insist that the state should give them a hundred times more facilities and privileges than were enjoyed by the foreign settlers in the former times. The exploitation of agricultural workers will be intensified and made legitimate. Using two or three slogans, these new colonists will demand enormous amounts of work of the agricultural laborers in the name of the national effort, of course. There will be no modernization of agriculture, no planning or development, and no initiative for initiative throw these people into a panic since it implies a minimum of risk and completely upsets the hesitant, prudent, landed bourgeoisie, which gradually slips more and more into the lines laid down by colonialism. In the districts where this is the case, the only efforts made to better things are due to the government. It orders them, it encourages them, and finances them. The landed bourgeoisie refuses to take the slightest risk and remains opposed to any venture or to any hazard. It has no intention of building upon sand. It demands solid investment and quick returns. The enormous profits which it pockets, enormous if we take into account the national revenue are never reinvested. The money in the stocking mentality is dominant in the psychology of these landed proprietors. Sometimes, especially in the years eminently following independence, the bourgeoisie does not hesitate to invest in foreign banks and the profits that it makes out of its native soil. On the other hand, large sums are spent on display, on cars, country houses, and all of those things that have been justly described by economists as characterizing an underdeveloped bourgeoisie. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is a couple pages of chapter three. We moved pretty well there, all things considered. We got through like three or four pages. God damn it. We did not. We got through like five or six pages. We we started at 148. <laughs> uh, 
and we're at like one. Our standards are so low at this. Um, point. I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, <coughs> but this was good. This was delightful. Yes. Um, I th- um um yeah. Uh, sorry, I'm, I'm trying to do better at doing the ending of this. Uh, so this is, you know the show, we're Mark's Madness, you know what we do. Um, you can, uh, email us, um, on, MarksMadnessPod at, at gmail.com. gmail.com. Um, you can tw- us sh- tweet us at MarksMadnessPod. Um, we don't have a Patreon. Someone the other day popped in the DMs and said they were hoping to be a patron soon, and I didn't have the heart to tell them, don't, don't bother. Um, yeah. No, give, give your money to local social organizations. Give your money to uh, uh, people in need in your communities. Yep. Uh, give your money to indigenous causes, especially with the hits they're taking around the world today. Uh, don't give your money to us. Or we're... give your money to other uh, socialist podcasts because some of them are awesome. And specific ones that are awesome are, I mean, Rev Left Radio and Red Menace are obviously comrades because we've done a show with them. Um, mm-hmm. The BP Bloodest folks I know do a lot of really good work with Means TV. Bands Lately, of Turtle Island. Bands of Turtle Island are doing amazing work and deserve every bit of support. You can give them Pearls of the Minion I know do really good work and use the port. Uh, Pearls of the Round Table. Um, definitely, we, uh, as we will see here soon, do amazingly good comradely work like sending us books so that we can read books <laughs> with them. Um, give them your money too. Um, but the one thing you can do that does not require any material thing, and you can do this for any podcast. You, we are not the only podcast you listen to. If you listen to a podcast um, and you want to support them, but you don't have like money and all you have is the thing you're listening to this on, go find the iTunes store. No, I get it. It's exclusive because it's iTunes. I get that. But that's the way algorithms work. And you go to our podcast and you click the little five star thing and you have to like write a thing. And it can literally just be like, like two words. I don't care. Um, but but if you do that, five stars, Nathan smells. That's fine. I'm okay with that. Honestly, bring it on. Um, that will uh, that is the thing that gets us in front of more people, and that's really the only thing I care about. Um, I don't. We're we're not trying to make money off this. We don't care of that. Uh, but the more lefty educated lefties we have out there, the better we're going to be. So yeah, that I mean, is the... I, I would educate people in socialism because uh, you know I mean we are communists and yeah. and. And you're not going to get communism by floating around and, and saying, oh, you know, uh, left liberals. That's that's lefty. You know, I don't give a shit about lefty. No. I'm I don't I'm I'm a communist. Yes. And the only way we get in front of more people, unless something some, you know, thing falls from the stars, uh, the best way to do it is click that button. Mm-hmm. And that makes things happen. And it, I so smash that like and subscribe button, baby. And uh, and we will see you next week. Bye. Hopefully in a better state of mind because yeah. we, Avril Morales will not have just been deposed when we talk, and hopefully he'll be back on the back back in power and everything will be good. Bye. Bye.